So for the uh, emergency use authorization for masks, it is a very fluid environment that changes uh, weekly, sometimes uh, several times a week. And so it's been very difficult to kind of pin down because as the, the virus epidemic is, is expanding, um, the FDA's regula regulation of these products is lowering. So where they started with the EAU uh, uh, opening restrictions in March the 2nd, by March 22nd, 24th, they published a new EUA. And that same day, they, they pu published a guidance document um, that explains by intended use what the requirements are. And so in as little as, you know, two, two and a half weeks, you had three changing requirements and lowering of the barriers to bring masks in. And these guidance documents are being written very feverishly, probably for somebody that is sleep deprived and either drinking or needs a drink. <laughs> Regulations are already kind of difficult to uh, navigate and understand, but what is happening with the EUA process, even for people who know how to interpret FDA, we have spent hours going in circles to figure out what did they really mean by that? Oh, when I when I started really understanding what the guidance document was trying to do, you can almost break it down into a decision-making flowchart. And so I've been thinking about spending personal time to create this flowchart so industry has a visual tool that they better understand what the requirements are. Because as the boundaries have been lowered, a lot of masks don't require any type of notification to the FDA at all. And it's basically a free-for-all for products that used to, uh, some of them even require 510Ks. So what the FDA has done is sorted the masks by intended use and intended user population and by the wording on your labeling. So you, you can start the decision-making flowchart by, is this for general purpose? Like, is this just for you to say it covers your nose and mouth and hooks around your ears and that's about it? And the FDA said, hey, and N95 respirators that are for non-healthcare applications. They're like, hey, we, we never thought those were medical products in the first place. Uh, so we're still not going to regulate them. And then it moves up for, okay, what if you have a mask that's for a medical application, but it's not intended for liquid barrier? Well, that has a different set of requirements. Still very low, no notification to the FDA. I don't even believe you have to have design history files for those particular products. And then you lay, but then you start layering on mask features from there. Well, what if it is for a healthcare population, but it does have liquid barrier, but it's not a respirator and it doesn't have an antiviral coating on it. And so from there, you just start adding product features to kind of move up the requirements barriers for the EUA process. And so, um, you know, the decision chart would clearly show when you went down a path that's not going to be restricted by the FDA during the EU, EUA. And then as you start adding product features, what, what requirements are added and when do you also have to add in a, commu a communication to the agency?
and you know back to my point about how rapidly this is changing when the EUA process for masks first opened up at the start of March there was a special email that you had to address to request an expedited pathway for FDA to review any 510ks you wanted to submit during this time well now the EUA has lowered the boundaries so much that some of the requests we put in the first and second week of March have come back and the FDA has said things like, um, we do not, now we do not intend to uh, approve any devices through an expedited pathway because the EUA requirements have been lowered so much that it's no longer necessary to have an expedited review. The FDA and the CDC has also lowered expectations because masks used to be called, uh, you know, for surgical parts, surgical masks, they're like, okay, Maybe we don't need masks that are necessarily appropriate to go to surgery with. We just need a barrier of some kind. And so now they're starting to define sub-indications within a population of masks that used to be overarching and you had to meet the requirements, you know, regardless if it was going into surgery or you were just going to stand at a patient's bedside. Michelle, um, I heard you say that masks are now binary according to FDA. There's N95, where you have to comply with rules, and a free-for-all. Did I capture it? No, not at all. Why, why we need so many channels in the flowchart, it's like playing Plinko on the Price is Right. You know, you, you put your, your token in, and, you know, there's about a, a dozen different ways that that chip could, could go down and fall. And so it's, it's more important now to understand your intended use the intended patient population, subpopulation, subintended uses or indications, uh, labeling, and whatever labeling you put on your product has to be consistent with what the FDA has specified in that EUA process. I can't help but think about last week when we talked to Jess and George at the Senior Center and they're making their own masks out of cloth. It's just so far from what you're talking about. Like, I just need some protection. Well, and, it's and there's this scary right now conversation about where where's that line as it relates right. to regulating all of this. We need something. Well, and I think it was just today, you know, and this is where it's a great debate on, amongst the world's leading healthcare communities. Like China and Korea said, "Hey, U.S., you've got it all wrong about masks. Some mask is better than no mask." And look how we've been able to manage every outbreak that comes through Asia by just wearing some kind of mask. I think that the main concept here is not so much how you are protecting yourself as it is not infecting people if you are asymptomatic and spreading it. The next day after uh, China and Korea came out with this data, who basically debunked it, and said, no, we still need some quality and performance standards. And then I, I heard, and I haven't looked this up for myself yet, that CDC came out with a, a statement similar to what you're showing now, that some mask is better than, than no mask. So it's gonna be really interesting to see how the, after all this is over, how this data sh shakes out for the US. And if we've really created, my, my personal concern, is that we've, we're gonna create placebos that make us feel better as a society and make us feel more confident in going out, but really have done 
nothing about the, the spread or prevention of, of the disease and, and actually might have made us more confident in, in our feeling that we're not going to spread or catch. So it could be totally a placebo effect that all we do here is make ourselves feel better. I don't know that I come to the same conclusion. I mean, just, I, again, I recognize this is one data point and who said otherwise, but it seems logical to me that if I'm covering my mouth, even with a scarf and I cough, I'm less likely to project that. About, so, and that's where people don't really understand how many requirements and test standards exist uh, product performance criteria exists for mass depending on your claims. So what you're just talking about would be a liquid barrier claim. Well, there is um, a, a mass guideline. You have to be uh, a class one and two. You have to pass class one and two flammability requirements to say you have liquid barrier. You know, at least we need to understand if you're going to use a bandana, what is cotton's ability to really prevent, to, to, to meet these liquid barrier requirements. It, it uh, as a person who specializes in telling stories, that's a lot to communicate to a mass population. And it's a lot of science. Mass of society, society aren't scientists. And we're, oh, we're inundated with science that even the scientists don't really understand right now. And this is a, another curious thing, you know, that the FDA isn't even dating the draft guidances. So if they were to update this, it's it's like almost every time you you need it, you don't need to like keep it on your computer. You need to go back directly to the FDA uh, hyperlink for the guidance because you can't even tell what date it was published, you know. And that's another reason why you have to like you know, as regulatory professionals, we have to watch like a hawk all the notifications coming out from the FDA to make sure that we're working on the most up-to-date information. So this is what I'm talking about with the decision-making flowchart. And, and if you think, if the industry people on the call think that this flowchart I'm talking about would be helpful, please comment and affirm that in the, the chat box because it is going to take me um, some resources that I'm very thin on to, to do this. But so here, here's where we start. You know, you have face masks and respirators not intended for a medical purpose that have one set of requirements. Oh, but wait, if you're a respirator, even if you're not intended for a medical purpose, there is a subset of different requirements for N95. Then we start adding in, again, technological features are th that they are for a medical purpose, but they're not for liquid barrier. Then it explains what the product requirements are, what the, the test requirements are, if they are any, and what the notification to the FDA. Now, and we just start crawling up the food chain with product functionality and the liquid. So, so look now, when you're talking about how effective is a bandana, because it, what I heard you say is that people feel like it's giving them some sort of liquid barrier protection. Well, if you want to actually make a liquid barrier protection claim for the masks, this is all of the requirements, including testing. So there's an ASTM standard and a CFR standard for class one or two flammability that you have to do on the test before the mask before you can make that claim 
even though you don't have to tell the FDA ahead of time under this EUA. And Michelle, uh, can I can I add one comment to that? Sure. That that is that it's important for people to remember that masks, by virtue of how humans breathe, work in two directions: inflow and outflow. And I think if I if I remember the the text of this standard specifically, that liquid vapor varies for inhalation, not necessarily exhalation. That's a great point. So, and so it's back to what are we wanting, what are we believing that the masks are accomplished? So if what you just said, then that will keep you safe from them coming in, but it's not necessarily gonna keep people safe from you breathing out. 